This is a HeadGum Podcast. Good One is presented by The Other Two, premiering on Comedy Central on January 24th. It's me, Vulture Senior Editor Jesse David Fox, the host of Good One, the podcast you're listening to right now. A podcast which is, in fact, about the writing of jokes. Good jokes. And our guest this week is one of the great living jokesmen, Julie Klausner. I've known Julie for nearly a decade now, when she was writing must-read recaps for Vulture, regardless if you watch the show or not, and starting her seminal podcast, How Was Your Week? Then, in 2015, she created her hilarious Hulu sitcom, Difficult People, and for three seasons, she put out some of the absolute best jokes on television. The joke we talk about is from Difficult People, and it's easily one of the most uh, unexpected, random jokes someone has picked to talk about on the show since at least maybe Neil Brennan in the first season. You don't need to know too much to get it, but let me provide you some context in case you haven't seen this episode or the show in general. It stars Julie Klausner and Billy Eichner as two best friends living in New York City trying to make it in the entertainment industry, uh, in which they hate uh, everybody but each other. In this episode, Billy is cast a star on a dumb kid's show. He only agrees because he believes his face will be covered, as he doesn't want to be embarrassed as he's currently joined the Ten Tents, the name for a group of super hot gay guys who all have sex with each other. In this scene, Billy learns from the director, played insanely by Austin Pendleton, that you can totally see his face in the hole of the costume's head. The other person you'll hear in this scene is a craft services guy played perfectly by David Neil Levin. It might be useful to know, at this time in the story, Julie is sick, despite being hired to walk the runway in a Christian Siriano show. This episode of Good One was recorded live at Union Hall as part of the Brooklyn Podcast Festival. It was a very nice time, and I thank everyone who came out. Julie really does love jokes. So, here's the difficult people scene Julie picked. It really is... Something. Uh, where's the rest of it? There's a giant hole for my face. You can totally see me. This is it! Jenny McCarthy and Have a Hunch Foundation weighed in yesterday. Apparently, it's important for ages zero to two to see the face of the character they are interacting with so that they can learn to read facial expressions. No way I'm showing my face on this show. I, I said it since the beginning. It's literally my one condition. You think you're too cool for this? You think one of your cool friends is going to see you hopping around like a big baby beaver? And they're going to say, Billy is not cool. Yes, that is exactly what I'm afraid of. Well, you are the one who keeps pitching about health insurance. Do you want this gig or not? Okay. Okay. Have a tough day out there? <sighs> yeah. Want a taquito? No, thank you. I just, I, this is the first time in my life I'm one of the cool guys, and now I'm going to be what? A, a cool guy with a bad shoulder and no health insurance? Julie was here, she'd tell me what to do. Julie, huh? Does Julie have a big pussy? Because I like it when the roast beef goes past the bread. Julie Klausner. I was gonna... Hello. Yeah, that was the joke I wanted that, uh, yeah. I like it when the roast beef goes past the bread. <laughs> I re- I'm really proud of that joke. Um, I, I re- I'm like in favor of ridiculing like 
female genitalia sure. for the sake of equality. <laughs> like, I, I've just had so many experiences growing up where you see a character get kicked in the balls, and I mean, like, you have to be like, oh, it's gonna hurt, but like, I don't know. <laughs> so, I just think it's important that, like, you know, that we reference naked women as something beyond objects of sexual desire. Yeah. So, you know, whenever I could be like gross. With vaginas, I, I would be, and uh, and I'm just I'm just really proud of that because it's so dirty. It's yeah. so dirty. Um, and I remember watching every audition. That guy was great. There's so many, there, and there were so many guys that were good. Um, I wanted him to be like that. I wish I knew the actor's name. I was trying to Google, but we can't get Wi-Fi down here. But the guy from Overboard with the small mustache from Chicago. I swear to God. You know who I mean, but I was just looking for like someone with that kind of deadpan. Like, um, I don't think that guy has any other lines in that episode. Though. Well, he, there's a callback. Hello, Billy. Oh. Hey, Arthur. I went to check on Julie, and she wasn't there. Give me the phone. Marilyn, I can handle it. No, you can't. Give it to me. Julie's gone, and it's Arthur's fault. Okay, I bet you went to the Suriano show. I know where it is. I'll meet you there. Hey, baby, boom, boom. Where are you going? You cannot leave in your costume. He's probably going to meet his friend. I think she's got a big snatch. Huge. That's it. That's yeah. the character's yeah, entire we ra- art. We wrapped up his story, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, before we get to this sort of very special moment, I, I think we should sort of establish how a scene in an episode like this just sort of generally is written, since you have a, a different process in a lot of sitcoms. You have a room, but you and Scott King, the showrunner, would sort of write the script separately. So for an episode and a scene like this... Well, we would break the story yeah. in the room, and, and Scott and I were sort of like, you know, the, the pilots, and, and and people who were in the room were incredibly valuable, including uh, Cola Scola, who was yeah. on the show and was also a staff writer. And um, he was just such an incredible addition to the to the room, as well as Tom Sharpling and Halstead Sullivan and other people, um, Amelie Gillette. Um, but, um, but then when it came time to write the, the script... Um, for the majority of the time, I would go off and write a draft. So for something like this, how far, how much of this scene would you have broken? Um, well, th- this was a really tough episode because I remember we had we we knew that we wanted Billy to do something humiliating, and we had to figure out why. So then it was like health insurance, mm-hmm. and then how does that connect to my story? And ultimately, we figured out that like I fix his shoulder because he like helps me up from the ground, and then that he doesn't need health insurance anymore. And then the ten tens was a thing. I guess it's a real thing that like there were these like ten hot guys, and they're all tens or whatever, and they would hang out at fashion parties. You learn a lot, um, <laughs> and so uh, and that was like a motivation to have that um be a thing where he you know wants to be in that group and that yeah. coincided with him like um having this opportunity to play like a humiliating like children's character and i knew that i was going to be sick the whole time so that was like it was challenging for story because i was like kind of out of the picture but i yeah. was also sort of I had a chance to be loopy and kind of funny but the whole second act i was kind of like out of the action because yeah. i was home well it was also it seemed like that the scene, Billy needed to someone to complain to. Yes. <laughs> that was where it seemed like, why is Bill, why does the scene continue? Is the, and you're like, oh, Billy needs to, compl- to establish what his complaint is. Yes. And usually that would be Julie. Yes. Is that, and then you're like, okay, we're walking towards, and then who's it going to be? Yeah. So then, what, was that sort of the hole that you're like, you need to fill, and then you're sort of thinking it of? Was, it was more of just a blow to the scene, like the last funny or ideally funny, but the last joke that you go out on, and I just that, that just really made me laugh. So walk me through. You he walks up the craft services. Mm-hmm. You know this person's gonna. What goes through your brain? Do you start with let me think of this person, and then 
Like, how does how do you get to that? It, you know, it's like, are you starting with a character and you're like, oh, this character? I think be like- it's just like it was almost like that Letterman thing where it would be like, would it be funny if it was like, oh, does Julie have a big pussy? Like, <laughs> I don't know if that's a character, uh, but I just remember thinking like. I just remember thinking, like, that'd be really funny if, like, this dirtbag, like, craft services person, like, only cares about that. And I also remember, like, I, I, I really like it when men, like, big puss. I don't know. Like, <laughs> there was this, um, not that he's, like, a feminist icon or anything, but there was a, uh, a Jim Norton, like, routine about how much he likes big pussies. <laughs> Which is, like, oddly, like, I mean, not that it's like, oh, I'm sure that's another way to commodify women's bodies, but, like, I like hearing it. Like, it's diversity. It's diversity of exploitation, essentially. (laughs) Were there any other thoughts of possible predilections or uh, ways of he might say the the roast beef line? No, that was was on the page. First thought. First thought, best thought. That first thought, last thought, that was, there was absolutely no way I was going to change that. I mean, if the net, the network was very amenable, but if they had come back, I would have given them a fight. Um, and, 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 you know, ideologically supporting it by the fact that, like, I want equality for women. Yeah. I want the opportunity for women to be as disgusting and immature and stupid and obnoxious and make jokes about how gross their genitals are than men have had the benefit for doing for years. So. Uh, in the moment, are you thinking that? You're like, when you write, like, oh, he's going to say this, and you're like, yeah. It's just more <laughs> about me being gross. It's just more about me thinking, like, what's the dirtiest thing Ever and invariably that comes to things that are taboo because they haven't been discussed. And then also it comes from my own personal experience of like having a vulva. And like <laughs> those are like that's it's my point of reference combined with the fact that like I know this is gonna be more shocking because it's just simply not said. And that's also very appealing for joke writing because it's original. Yeah, yeah. I mean you it, just haven't seen that before. Well, I think you've talked about I think who will let you go get away with a lot, but I think networks in general are specifically very squeamish about female anatomy-related jokes. Oh, joke. I remember there was a time, like, I had written something for the Times, and they were like, we can't... I think I had, like, some line in a Modern Love thing that said my vagina is an idiot, and they said, like, we only use the word vagina when it comes to, like, medical articles. And that's the Times, and the Times has, you know, and God yeah. bless them, I mean, comparatively, compared to who's in the White House, like, I'm on their side. But, like, I just remember thinking, like, well, that's awfully, like, you know, sacrosanct. And, and who knows, maybe they have the same philosophy towards like male genitals too but I just remember thinking like you know don't don't make it so that you know this is I don't know it's like a virgin whore kind of thing like don't don't make this like unjokeable about because you want to keep women like precious and pure and like sexually attractive as opposed to like us using our own stuff as like material did Hulu so Hulu had no problem this joke was there anything in general that Hulu would have because um, it feels like one of the more dirtier jokes you know, of the show. We would thank you. We would go back. Um, <laughs> we would go back and forth with Amy more than anything. So by the time we go, went to who and the, and wasn't like Amy was like no, but it was more like a, a conversation. She'd always have a point about like I'm bumping on this or like this isn't working, and she'd always be right or else she would bring us to something better. Yeah. Um, so by the time we got to Hulu, every once in a while they would have a couple of like of things, but we would either like take or leave them or take them because they were good, but. Um, for something like this, no. I remember there was something in season three that standards and practices came back to us where Billy and I are waving at like a bus of tourists and we're saying under our breath, like, you dumb motherfuckers, like, and and um and we say uh fucking Trump voters, and they wanted us to get rid of that. And we fought back and they uh acquiesced, but it was one of these things where like, oh, that's interesting. Like you're okay with us tracking attacking Trump, but you don't want us to go after his base. Um, so, so no, directly. we're going to do it anyway. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Because it was also like, 
we're not, I mean, I, I kind of see where they're coming from, but I also was like, we're not in the business of trying to get your other, like the 50 other 50% of this country that wouldn't like this show anyway. Like yeah. we're not interested in kissing up to them. I mean, in general, Oh, and it, we did have advertising stuff. We oh, did yeah, have, yeah, there was this one thing in the, sorry to interrupt you. There was one, has anyone ever said that on a podcast? Sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> Um, <laughs> there was, uh, an episode the, the final episode of episode of season three, which ended up being the final episode was, um, Billy and Julie go to LA and we had the opportunity to use this like teeny, 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 tiny car. Um, like one of those little, I don't know what they're called. I'm not like a, a car person, but yeah. we, we got permission to use one. And the only, um, the only like, uh, what is that called? Restriction was that we couldn't make fun of the car. Yeah. So I had to cut a line where we get out of the car because we're in traffic all day. And I said, um, oh, God, that was like being in Wally's pussy. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and our legal was like, you cannot, you can't say that. I'm like, but it's a joke. And they're like, I know, but like, we can't, we can't use the car otherwise. We had to lose that joke. For, for a joke like this and a show, and in general, the show where the, the point of it is the characters are wrong about a lot of certain things about how do you sort of as a writer scrutinize to make sure the joke's target is clear to an audience? Well, sometimes it's not, and you can't control that. But I do think that it's not that the characters are wrong. It's just that they're selfish and they put themselves first, but they're still on to something. Yeah. Like, there's still a truthfulness to them hating everything around them, but they're just more reckless about it. So you're you're kind of, like, giving someone the chance to have this sort of catharsis by virtue of someone that doesn't care if they burn bridges or not and can just sort of yeah. say anything they want. It's by making clear that they are wrong. Um, well, not that they're wrong, or but just, just that, that they, they don't give a shit. Yeah. You know, like just that they have nothing to lose. And yeah. there's something really entertaining about watching that. And I think, you know, sometimes, I don't know, like I, I have an issue with people like, writing think pieces about what's punching up versus what's punching down just because like I think people like not that people talk about comedy too much but just stuff like that really bums me out because it's like you know it when you see it yeah, and yeah. you know when you're on the right side of history or you should yeah I mean um, there's context that I think that often they will not take into account absolutely and and I do you know like the joke in the pilot about R. Kelly really like was misinterpreted because it was perceived of as like blue Ivy being the target. And it was really a joke about R Kelly, but I still regret making it because I, 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 I just feel bad that it was yeah. interpreted that way. But ultimately um, that was a joke that we actually changed because originally it was a joke about Eric Clapton's dead son. <laughs> and I remember we were like, this is too USA. had bought the pilot. We're yeah. like, we're not going to go forward on USA with a joke about a dead kid. We better make it about like sexual abuse. I mean, God. <laughs> it was so, I, I came up with that alt cause it had to be something shocking and upsetting enough for people to be like outraged yeah. by. And then, People were outraged by it in real life. And I could say, oh, it was taken out of context, but people are smart. Like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to like say like, well, no, it's, it, they really didn't get it. It's like, if that's, if people think that like children are not fair game to be joked about, like, yeah. I, I hear that and I respect that. And I do regret not making my intentions clearer with it because like, fuck R. Kelly forever. But like, I don't, um, I don't like having been misinterpreted uh, and I, I regret that I would have put more thought into it. So I, I wanted to, you mentioned, I want to talk about casting this part, but uh, we have a special guest. Oh. 
You want to come up? This is David Neil Levin. Oh my God! (laughs) There's there's a mic over there. This is amazing. Thank you. This is the reunion everyone waited outside in the cold for. A character that does not interact with Julie. No, this is the first time I think that we're actually meeting in person, although obviously I saw your audition tape and you were so, so funny. I watched every tape. Thank you. Everyone was better than the next. I can't believe, like, did Billy break at all? Because I would not have been able to not laugh in that. Uh, No, he did not break. He's a professional. (laughs) He was a professional. So, David, what was it like getting this casting breakdown of... (laughs) This is what they needed. And why you're like, this is for me. We're the sides, I think, probably. That yeah. Feels right. yeah. It was really exciting as an actor. <laughs> and something I did in the audition that didn't make it into the show was when I say, I like it when the roast beef goes past the bread. I did this with my hands. <laughs> and they, I don't know if it was something specifically wrote back. They're like, don't, don't do that. <laughs> it's like, okay. So I don't know if you remember that. You got it anyway. <laughs> No, what? I just liked how deadpan you were. Like it was. Just, Thank you. Yeah, the, it, it's filthy enough that it goes a long way. Thanks for casting me. Thanks for doing it. You're so funny. Thank you. What, uh, David? What do you remember from shooting this scene? Um, Austin Pendleton was super nice. Oh my god, he's so funny in this role. I mean, you guys could see he was acting crazy. Like was that in the, the delivery of his lines yeah. is insane. He's like, Billy isn't cool. Like, and then if you look behind him when he's approaching the craft serve, if you watch again, he starts dancing. Yeah. And I think he probably came up with a backstory that his character was on pills or something. But probably. Oh, was he funny? He was super nice. And during a break, he he was sitting down talking to some other actors about the biz. And I was like, oh, that's great. And he was leaning back against my jacket, and I had to go. And I, like, I just pulled it out. I couldn't, like, I couldn't, like interrupt him, but he didn't notice. He's, he stayed for the, um, the lunch after he was wrapped. That's, <laughs> I, that was me. That's where we were. I yeah. stayed for lunch, too. <laughs> Actor bonus. Yeah. <laughs> Julie, so what... I wanted to ask you what delights you about this character and sort of more broadly as a longtime listener of your podcast, I feel like this guy feels like a sort of person that you've, like an internet like perv that I feel like you sometimes become obsessed with. Well, I have a great rating on WikiFeet. (laughs) (laughs) What interests you about this this world of male I think crew. sexual perversion is hilarious. I love it. I, I just I mean I, I I it's harmless. You know it's it's fun. People not hurting anyone or taking advantage of people who are just into weird stuff makes me laugh. I mean it's just I I'm not um, I guess I'm squeamish about certain topics that are like violence or poop I'm not into but like sex to me is so funny and like the more explicit the better I just I just I just enjoy jokes about sex yeah there's this there's just like a sort of sweetness to how this character presents this thing he knows what he likes (laughs) and Billy's like okay Billy's little throw (laughs) (laughs) so um with with uh, where was I going to say? Oh, so difficult people famously had jokes that sort of predicted certain Me Too shifts. Brian Singer jokes and the Kevin Spacey jokes, and now R. Kelly. But in sort of general, 
how, what do you think of where the craft service guy is now, considering his workplace? Behavior? I think he's probably. I think he has a longer career than anybody. I mean, I think he. I don't think he would have said that to the person that could have fired him. I think he just sort of saw someone that was like, you know, in a tough spot, more lo- like lower status on set. It was just like trying to make a friend. Yeah. David, what are your thoughts? I think he's in the union, so he's fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's fine. He did his job. He offered him a taquito. Like. <laughs> <laughs> taquitos, you don't see those on set. Those are good. I lo- oh, I love a taquito. Uh, David Neil Levin, thank you so much. So I want to talk more broadly about uh, jokes on the show, and uh, I thought a good way was you you sent uh, jokes that you you oh, know you should wrote. I move over. To yeah, the might side. Well move. Jokes you know you wrote from what I believe you said was your favorite episode or episode you liked a lot, which was season three, episode two, Strike Rat. Yeah. So she's on a list of every joke she's sure she wrote, and we uh, supercut it, and this is it, uh, supercut. But this is supposed to be amazing. It's David Blaine's latest magic trick, where he's just going to kill himself. Maggie Gyllenhaal just signed on for the next sequel to Hostel, Clitorectomy, Third Time's the Harm. It's always sad when someone sells out their own people. Yeah, like when Elton John did that thing with Eminem, and then they sang together. This project comes from a film director who is arguably offensive to women. Eli Roth? Close. Jewish also. But his violence against women is more dialogue-based and exists more in his character's antiquated attitudes towards them. Woody Allen is doing another Amazon series? Yes! It's called Manhattan Mini Storage, and this time we are all sure the Woodster's gonna get TV. Esther, white female, over 16, unfuckable. Any other specifics, or...? You'll have to speak up over this loud rock and roll music, if you can call it music. Oh, here, Mr. Yelnikov, let me light that for you. Oh, shit! Oh, crap! <sighs> I'm okay. I don't care. Please go. But not before you check out for a reason why you're returning this blender. My nickname Shutter Eye isn't exclusively because of my anus. I'm a talented food photographer. Back in Catfish Hollow, I developed the cutest little eating disorder. I would take pictures of food instead of eating it. Now, of course, I just use portion control before I vomit everything up. Oh, no, it's real. While we liberals were busy debating whether those naked statues of Trump were body shaming, Russia elected the Fourth Reich. God, it's you. Of course it's you. What's going on? Is this a flash mob? Because I don't know the dance, but I could certainly try to learn. No, it's a protest. Woody Allen's shooting in New York again, and we're not okay with it. Let me guess, dipshit. You just auditioned. Wait a minute. You look familiar. Do we used to fuck in college? Trick question. I only did boob stuff with women in college. But seriously, did we used to fuck in college? I ripped up sides right in front of that daughter-marrying clarinet-tooting clown shoe. And then, just to make sure you knew I was serious, I burned my bra. Oh, phew! Because even I couldn't convert a gay person. If I could, you can bet that Circle Line cruise with Anderson Cooper would have gone a different way. Well, Trish. I can only imagine your backstory. Oh, it's a letter for the conversionist? That's me. Ooh, it's the new vice presidential seal. Well, that's got to be a... Hmm. Okay, well, if you tilt it, it's definitely a swastika. Yeah. So, we just won't tilt it. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> no, he heads home 2 p.m. every day for a salted cottage cheese dinner. Absolutely. Would you mind if I kept Hangover 3? I saw the first two, and I just want to know how it turns out for the gang. Oh, Max, every time I see you, I feel like I just smoked a bunch of grass. Drugs. Great. She's talking about drugs. I'm a mental imbecile. 
but you, you're vibrating on a sexual energy. I must be your muse. Hey guys, I've been waiting all morning. You finally showed up for the Wawa protest. Women, again. You came in costume? No, this isn't a costume. I work at speakeasies and supper clubs doing my burlesque act. Really? I'm a huge burlesque fan. I've never seen you. Do something from your act. Well, I'm a hoochie coochie coo and a potty toddy too and the town never knew such a hullabaloo. Wow, that's right. I have seen you before. That's right. Serve me up some hot wings, fire up Better Call Saul, and please ask me how I feel about women who don't wear makeup. I have an opinion about whether they're beautiful with or without it. I love that episode so much. It's such a bummer to me. I think season three of Difficult People is far and away the best, and I just feel like it didn't get enough like attention as opposed to the first two, but I'm so proud of it. That, that episode, like... Head to tail is just like, I just think it's so great. Thanks. And that, I, it should, as, as as Julie mentioned, those are just the jokes she's sure she wrote for it by herself. Like, there's... Yeah, yeah, there's, there's a whole like story so and other stuff that we yeah. collaborated on for sure, but I know that Shutter Eye isn't exclusively because of my anus. is definitely me. <laughs> for that joke, did you have to work backwards of what you knew the plot was going to be where you knew he was going to have to take photographs you're like okay yeah. how do I get there well we knew that he was going to be a photographer so the word shutter eye was funny to me and I like it when he calls it his anus sometimes instead of his asshole <laughs> <laughs> so there's obviously just uh, so many jokes and you, you've talked about having pride in that the show has hard jokes which is sort of jokes that sort of they're you know what you know that's what those are and yeah um and the characters often will talk about shows that have no jokes or wouldn't know a joke if they, they yeah, the seen ones it. that win awards and the get ones. more seasons than we did yeah <laughs> so what do you like about jokes what do you like about writing jokes oh, it's just something so satisfying it's the only thing i really love about writing when i'm sitting down and you're pulling teeth but then you like discover a joke that you just figure out and there's just it's like panning for gold it's just it just feels so good do you do you are you excited to tell people immediately do you want do you like want to stop and be like i did this and then i it's not that i stop but when i give someone a script to read like i love it when they like cut and paste the things that they think are funny and they're invariably jokes and then i just love you know i'm just a huge fan of comedy like i remember other people's jokes and i quote them a lot or i apply them to my life i'm just a huge fan of like this is whatever but the craft of it there, I was thinking in the last maybe five or six years, the most hard joke heavy sitcoms, sort of live sitcoms, Difficult People, Mini Project, Great News, Kimmy Schmidt, were all created by women. Well, 30 Rock, I always think about. Um, do you think there's any? I, it's just something I just noticed that in, which is there's not that many shows that have so many hard jokes and that they all are female. The crit. Simpsons. Yeah. But that's you know, not obviously. But yeah, no, I, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. There's, You know what? It's nice that there have been opportunities for women to create more shows in the last yeah. however many years. So I want to talk to you about pop culture references sort of generally. I, I once had a writing teacher who gave me a note about a piece I wrote. And to sort of paraphrase, he sort of like references are a double-edged, double-edged sword. They sort of push away those who don't get them. But for those who sort of know it, there's sort of a secret language that you sort of communicate to them. And also another thing is, this, like, at another level, these are just how some people talk. What was your sort of journey about using sort of pop culture references in your writing? First and foremost, it is the way people talk, and it is a secret. But 
But I disagree with that first thing because I think that if you're already on someone's vibe, like if you're watching something that you like and you like the sensibility of and they make a reference that you don't understand, look at the fuck up. It's so easy. You have a phone. You can pause it. Like, I think that's one of the exciting things about being curious the same way that people who read will stop to look up a word. Like, I don't know. Like, I remember growing up watching British television comedies and, like, not getting jokes on, like, The Young Ones or Monty Python. And yeah. I would, like, I, I mean, I couldn't Google Felicity Kendall at the time, <laughs> but later I could. And I just remember thinking, like, that's a really funny name and I wonder who she is. And, you know, if you're if you're curious, you have the opportunity to, like, learn something. And isn't that cool? Like, yeah. I like learning things. Yeah, and it's speaking to, you're treating the, the audience as intelligent people. That's absolutely a huge priority for me writing wise is to like make something for someone that is as smart as me or if not smarter. I, I was preparing for this interview last weekend and as finding a lot of interviews would ask you or Billy, are there any celebrities that you guys actually like? Which I thought was like a crazy. So many. It was so crazy. that the, And then so the same thing happened was that then I watched the Golden Globes and sort of a thing clicked, which was people think they're haters partly because there's something that you don't see anymore, which is they're irreverent. Like, there's just sort of, like, not space for that. I think there's... You've talked about how, like, a lot of people become more earnest in yes. sort of the internet. And I think yes. you wrote for a time, and I came up through the internet at a time where, like, this is sort of, like, the tone in which that happened. What do you like, like about... Gawker and stuff? Yeah, Gawker. And then even, like, your recaps, I think what yes. I thought of internet writing is. And then have you noticed that shift? What, what about being irreverent towards these I, things? Well, I definitely find it annoying that, like, the take is always consistent. Like, if the internet decides they like a celebrity, that everything is, like... You know, and and I'm just going to use this as an example. Like, I don't dislike her. I actually like her a lot. But, like, we stan Rashida Jones. And, like, yeah. oh, great. Like, great news. Rashida Jones is doing this. And, like, again, like, this is just a random example. But, like, there are people that the internet designates as we love yeah. without asking me. Um, and and I, I just, I find that supremely irritating. It feels like you're back in high school. And you're like, she's the popular girl. Like, Kristen Bell is another yeah. one. Or Aubrey Plaza. And, like, again... These women are great and funny and gorgeous and everything, but like, you know, where's like I I love uh you know, Liza Minnelli. Like, why can't we talk more about her? Well, I think it's something you're talking about before about punching up and punching down, which is the people that they elevate as these these sacrosanct people. Yes. If you go after them, somehow you are punching down because because uh, which you, makes no <laughs> sense. They because are these they're successful. the popular girls. Yeah. Don't don't get me started. I mean, well, like, I think that was part of it. I, I no, no, yeah, it. no. You 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 take shit when you go after people that like the internet has decided we universally love. Yeah, and that's you know, difficult people is a great outlet to express annoyance about that through the guise of two characters that, like I said, don't give a shit. There, I was also thinking that and are jealous. Yeah, that are like, why is that person famous and I'm not? Yeah, and also people are jealous in real life. Like I feel like that's yeah. that's the part that. It's forgotten. Yeah. The other thing that I was remembering is that difficult people came after a time in comedy where there were like pieces about how joyous and nice comedy was. They were like, I remember, I think Vulture wrote an article about like Parks and Recreation and Jimmy Fallon and the comedy of super niceness. And rewatching, it was like, it reminded me of the interview you did with David Rakoff about defensive pessimism. Uh, which is like I, I, it's like burned in my brain. But I think there's something about watching the show where you're like, these are people who are like things are going to get worse any minute now. And then in season three, you're like, we were correct. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you feel? Um, I don't know. If I say and vindicated. there's no, there's no like 
gratification about that. I'm not like happy that like Trump is president and Kevin Spacey may or may not be behind bars, but like I was right. Yeah. There's a very like it's not it's being right doesn't make you happy. <laughs> just makes you right. From head writers of SNL, Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider, comes a new Comedy Central series, The Other Two, starring Drew Tarver, Helena York, Case Walker, and featuring Molly Shannon, Ken Marino, and Wanda Sykes. The show follows Carrie and Brooke Dubeck, two 20-somethings struggling to make it in New York. As the two work toward finding themselves, their lives are completely upended when their 13-year-old brother, Chase Dreams, becomes a viral singing sensation overnight. The Other Two, new Thursdays at 10.30, 9.30 Central, after Broad City on Comedy Central. So the third season had some Trump material. It wasn't tons, but this this episode had, had a little bit more. It was more about Pence. Pence. Yes. How did you balance... These are people that care a lot about small things with them also caring about huge things. Well, we had a very queer cast with people of color, and it was something that just... If you didn't refer to it, you would just seem like a moron because it just affected us in a personal way. I mean, it was just something that... In like in the in the world of the show, justified Billy and Julie's worldview that the world's horrible and yeah. garbage, but it definitely spoke to you know we we only got you really just got started like Trump was elected while we were in the writers room and I remember that day because it was so fucking bleak and I remember thinking oh I'm so lucky that I don't work at like Sam B or John Oliver because to have to write a take on this right now would just wound me more than I actually feel already yeah. gutted and it's nice to almost have a distraction. And as well, like, you know, an outlet to kind of say, how would these characters deal with this world? But um, but the pen stuff was important for us to tackle because of our, you know, just his disgusting LGBTQ record and the gay conversion stuff, which yeah. is just nauseating and should be illegal across the board. And so this was our way of, of you know, making fun of it. You've, you've said the, beyond making fun of him being like, oh, he's gay, like not a good one. Yeah, I, I'm not a, not crazy about that about that joke. By the way, like this homophobe's totally gay. Like maybe he is, but that's not the point of view. You know, yeah, like, that's not a negative. There's other, that's not there's, a joke. Yeah, there's other things going on with Lindsey Graham that we can, uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, you've said the one thing you you wish you could have written a joke about since Difficult People ended was Nanette, which is a, a show, <laughs> which is a show you said you liked, which is an interesting thing that I sort of like. It's it's so interesting. This show sort of has these. They make fun of these dramedies that. But you've also said like, oh, now that you're looking at other projects, you might want to do something more grounded, or like that you've liked Transparent or Orange Is the New Black. Uh-huh. It is a diff- It is a key distinction between you and the character you play. Well, it's definitely it, isn't it? Like, isn't that nice to have? Like, I'm sure Larry David isn't obnoxious to everyone in restaurants and stuff. It's just the funnier way of doing it. But yeah, oh boy, Nanette is something Billy and Julie would have gone off the rails. <laughs> About just like, wait a minute, like this, like lesbian who wasn't that funny 30 minutes in says she's not going to do comedy and we're supposed to be upset. All right. Like, that's what they would say, Jesse. That's what they would say. Um, you were while you're coming up as a comedy writer, you're also sort of writing critically. You wrote recaps for Vulture that I. I, I loved even for shows that I didn't watch. I don't. Did you see that interview with John Krasinski where he was talking about meeting Paul Thomas Anderson? No. So he, he was, John Krasinski said he was at this party and he was telling Paul Thomas Anderson about how this this shitty movie he saw, and then Paul Thomas Anderson's like, "Oh no, you can't say that." 
like you shouldn't say anything is bad. Like we are the creators of people. You have to like allow people to create things. And I feel like this show, you you in particular are though you are a creator, you're also as a person who comes from a critical point of view and simple, that you want to make sure that you still have that point of view that you don't want to um, let things off the hook that you don't like. Is that fair? I mean, like I'm still. I have to read that whole interview because I'm still coming to terms with Paul Thomas Anderson saying that, and it makes sense that you didn't have an editor for the master. First of all, based on that, <laughs> I could have been like uh, make it like maybe like forty lose forty five minutes. Um, but is apparently it, that's not okay to say in L.A. I don't know that I have to read the context sure. of that, but I'm horrified. But sorry, what was so the I, I think it's more like do you feel like it's important to remain critical in your. Oh, absolutely! It's a huge part of my personality. Is just like. Um, and and I think, you know, the, the pleasure of knowing how one feels about things that yeah. one is passionate about culturally. One of the great pleasures of going to a museum is saying, I like this. I don't like that. I think being critical is a absolutely essential part of creativity. So uh, how are you not going to be? I mean, how yeah. can you be critical towards yourself if you're not critical? And I and I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, I, I always take issue with people that fight against critics because they're like, you fucking make something. It's like, well, I actually wrote this like really well reasoned and well thought out meditation on art. And that's something, you know, I mean, I understand if it's just like this stinks, but I don't know. Like there's a lot of art and criticism, I think, as well. Um, this episode obviously has a couple jokes about Woody Allen. A uh, lot of jokes about Woody Allen. <laughs> um, so, but I know his movies are important to you. and for, for I like his early movies. I say like Deconstructing Harry was the last movie I like. But like it was it, more than like like there are movies that I think help shape what you might want to do when you work oh, yeah, and Hannah shape and what you, what you yeah, wanted yeah. from New York. Mm-hmm. You know, like obviously these are things that have been around. But, you know, as you worked on this, do you sort of reconcile like the, his influence with sort of who he was as a person beyond sort of like, oh, separating art from artists? Do you have to like think about the influence he had on you? I don't think maybe this is a huge generalization that I just thought of and maybe I'll take issue with it later but I don't know if women have ever really had that conflict like there's a lot of think pieces about like how am I supposed to like Louis CK if I can't it's like we I I get it like they're two they're different things like the art and the artist and you have to take one into consideration if you enjoy the other but at the same time like I don't know like R. Crumb is one of my favorite artists and he's someone who works out his id on the page um and he's a total dirtbag and like a you know I I wouldn't want to marry him um and then Woody Allen used to like be a really interesting filmmaker. And then the the funny thing about Woody Allen is like his really like public daughter fucking, I should yeah. say, <laughs> coincided with um, as far as we know, you know, is coincided with like a phase of his career that was just like, wow, his films are terrible. So it's not it's not it's not that hard to be like Colin Firth being like, I will never make a Woody Allen movie. It's like, oh, really? You won't make like you will meet a tall, dark stranger, too. It's not like you're saying like, I'm not going to make Annie Hall. Get out of here. Like no one's saying that. Um, the interesting thing I think was like the Louis stuff because that guy left at the top of his game, whereas Woody like was already kind yeah. of you know slipping, and now he's so out of touch because he's been in exile. And again, no boohoo, but just like interesting to see how like out of tune he is because he hasn't been able to be in front of oh um, Louis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels like I, I read it as he he knew how to appeal to his new audience of people who doesn't care about. What I he know that that's what people think, and that he's going to be like a MAGA dude, well, that, or he could tour yeah. like red states. But I don't know if he's that self aware um, as far as how he's perceived of yeah. right now. I, I don't know if he has that 
that you might be tone deaf to that. Yeah. I don't know, but it's it, it's definitely insulated from. I mean, he's like so famous that he doesn't know how to be a person. Well, it's beyond fame. I think it's like insulation. I yeah. think he like doesn't really know what he did wrong. I don't think he understands completely why people are upset, and he hasn't been going up in front of audiences to get like the yeah. practice or know or care how the audience would be responding. So. So uh, from Woody Allen, we'll go to New York. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It's like New York is a character on this show. Thank you. Thank you. It's like the third difficult person or the eighth. Yes, 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 yes. And her trailer was huge. (laughs) But uh, you've said it's a different New York than Broad Cities or Mm -hmm. Seinfeld. or, or. What is the New York you wanted to show? What is this New York that has this craft services guy, yeah. that has Billy, that has this strike rat? That ugly, has- busy, annoying. Everyone else is cranky, too. And, like, you know, there, there's definitely characters in this world but like that are nutty, but... There was a full. There, there was a couple things. Not that we ever had a show Bible, but there were definitely philosophies. Julie and Billy would never fight. Julie and Billy would never have things going on that the other wouldn't know about. And that their philosophy was two pronged, which is to say, um, the world is garbage. But also, what was the other one? But also, we suck. No, I don't think they said we suck. I think I think it was like the world is garbage, and that was they were right about that. Yeah. Like, there, there are things that they were wrong about, but, like, that one was true, and that would keep proving itself. And that was, New York is the place where you can convey that the best. Um, well, we definitely, like, got to dip our toe in the L.A. of it all in the yeah. last episode, so that was fun. So, uh, from New York, let's talk about Judaism on this Sure, Sabbath night. yeah. Um, our first time we interviewed was for Juicy, which I feel like is a nice full circle. It's, it's, uh, it's almost like Judaism is a character on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so the last person I asked about this was your Jewish day school classmate, Nick Kroll. Mm-hmm. But um, but do you feel like a Jewish comedian? Do you feel like Difficult People is a continuing of a vocabulary of Jewish American oh, comedy? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In what way? I My Jewishness is just something that is a very big part of my identity. And I take it with me day to day. And I think about being Jewish all the time. And I think about, you know, the the New Yorkiness of my specific kind of Judaism. And I think that this show really let me be as Jewish as I wanted to be and as gay or female as I wanted to be or as obscure as I wanted to be. And I'm very, very grateful for that. And, and Billy, you know, when I met Billy, he was from Forest Hills. He had funny bar mitzvah stories. Like we were both equally Jewish and it was something that we had in common. Uh, Have you watched Mrs. Maisel? I saw the first episode and I seen clips that my boyfriend was in. And any thoughts? Oh, yeah. I forgot he's in there. Um, I, uh, I can see why it's popular. It's very charming. Um, I'll leave it at that. All right. <laughs> That's fair. Um, this, uh, you can say completely no to this question. I've talked to Meg, the, the comedy editor at Vulture, about mm-hmm. this idea. But in the interview you did with Bust, the host called you a comedian mm-hmm. in the intro. And you didn't say, like, oh, no, I prefer comedian. Mm-hmm. And... I, it made me think about how the comedian is a history that is separate uh, from the history of comedians, which is not necessarily sterling. Do you feel like there's sort of a there is a way to reclaim that term, or I mean, do you think there's? Yeah, I don't really care if you call me a comedian. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't mind it. Like, I, th- I mean, I can see how people are annoyed by it the way that you'd say actress instead of actor. Yeah, but. Um, I'm just grateful for the acknowledgement. I guess. Uh, do you think of yourself as a writer? Mm-hmm. First? First, yeah. First and foremost, I think of myself as a writer because I can write other things. Uh, I can write different kinds of things. And also because 
I um, I just know it's the thing I'm I'm best at, and so if I could only want do one thing, I'd have to do it. Although I I like performing. The best thing in the world is writing for yourself. It's like wrapping a present that you get to unwrap later. Um, but um, but I but I do know that like it's the one thing I can do that other people can't. I, I don't think I'm that great of a performer um, when it comes to. I mean, my audition record speaks for itself in that in that department. Um, you're currently working on a book. Broadly, it has a very specific process you talked about briefly, but I was interested in how you're doing it. It seems like you have, you're very motivated to do in a specific way that I'll make it so you can't necessarily do your podcast in some ways. What is, how are you working on this book? I um, have been like journaling and trying to get back to remembering how much I loved to write when I was a teenager and that I did it because I loved it and I needed it. And that's sort of what podcasting did for me. It was kind of like a, 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 I could upload like whatever I was going through and make it kind of like, and be able to process it. So I've been doing that for the last like half or half a year and trying to think of it in terms of a book lately because um, my only new year's resolution is to be more like Fran Leibowitz <laughs> and she wrote books and she's so fucking rad. Um, oh, if you ever get a chance to see her speak, while while she's still on this planet, I mean, she's the best. No one's cooler than her. What do you like about TV, about the length, the rhythm, the nature of how... You know, this was Hulu. It could have been a 40-minute episode. It could have been an 18 No, every... it had to be 24-30. Oh, oh, it had to be 24-30. To fit into their thing. But like... Yeah, or less, but it was always... But like what do you like about the... TV and it's... I mean, I grew up with it. There's something very comforting and familial and um i also think that like comedy was always more like uh answered to on television maybe because it was just more current like the turnaround was less like extensive so you could have things that were more topical or um you know less universal i guess so if you were a comedy addict then you would be getting like more more hits um I think it's hard to think abstractly about one's legacy, but I have an idea, which is say, so let's say in five years, someone were, was to come up to you and mm-hmm. say something about difficult people. Mm-hmm. Who would you want that person to be? And what sort of thing would you like them to be like when they sort of tell you about that they were a fan? Well, someone who could hire me for something sure. would be the answer. <laughs> what was the second part? So what that? would you like them to say? Like, I love this joke, you know? I, lo- I, I loved, I remember this joke or quoting a joke or saying like, I, I just think quoting the writing, like there's a certain, it really does touch a writer in like a deep place when you can remember like the turn of phrase they used. Speak, I'll tell you the, my favorite joke I think from the show, which is um, in, in third season, Julie's just looking through the internet and sees that on deadline, she goes, Malala signed with CAA. Hasn't she been through enough? That was mine. Thank you. Um, I know you can't t- I know you're developing. She was shot in the head. You're right. It's so funny. Hasn't that poor girl been through enough? Um, I, I know you can't talk about what you're developing, but uh, can you sort of I'll talk-, talk about it? I'm working on oh, two sure. shows. I'm working on two new TV shows. For the love of God, please pray tonight to Satan or whomever you worship. Christian Bale. <laughs> Um, to go forward because it's so, I mean, I understand why Scientology is a thing in Los Angeles because it is the exact same rhythm of television development. Like you're like, Oh, you'd be great at this. You're like me. And then you go off and you write a script and they're like, this is fantastic. You're like, it is. 
And then they're like, sure, like, why don't you like wait six months and then maybe we'll like pitch it and then someone buys it and they're like, they did? And then they're like, we're gonna make a pilot. They're like, you will? And then like two years later, they shoot it and then another like six months, they're like, we're gonna go to series or not. Yeah. All the steps they take you through, it's exactly like Scientology and you're broke at the end of it. What, what can you say what a little bit about what the two things are? They're both half-hour comedies. Um, one I'm working on with uh, Alex Gordellis, who I've been working with for over a decade, who I adore. Um, and the other is something that I'm writing for myself to star in. Um, and it is sort of autobiographical, but from a different place than um, when I was writing Difficult People. I was coming from a very different place, so this is sort of a... A different kind of thing, but they're both half-hour comedies. What do you um, like for cable? What do you like about working on them? Um, I mean, the just discovering the. Jo- I'm just such a joke whore. Like I just love, I just love writing jokes and enjoying them and, and getting excited about like, oh my god, like what if we actually get to say this on camera? That would be so cool. <laughs> Uh, so that sound uh, means it's time for our final segment. It's the laughing round. It's like a lightning round, but because it's comedy, it's a, a laughing I'm round. I'm laughing already. I know, it's great. That's why that sound is so funny. <laughs> um, do you have any joke jokes, street jokes that you like? Street jokes? Like a joke joke. Like a joke that a person would tell you, a grandparent my, or a my, parent. My, my mother told me this joke recently at a funeral. <laughs> There's this, these two old ladies talking. And one says to the other, you look fabulous. What's your secret? She goes, I've been, this is my mother's term, I've been giving my husband oral sex <laughs> every day for the last month. And it's really, you know, it's doing me, it's, I, I just feel great and I look great and I, and I can't recommend it enough. And then they see each other like a couple of months later and the second lady says to the first lady, now you look great. What have you been doing? She goes, I've been taking your advice. I've been giving oral sex every night for the last month and I've never felt better or looked better. She goes, but your husband was really surprised. <laughs> she was blowing the lady's husband. Um, who do you think, it's Friday night, who do you think, who do you want to win this season of Drag Race All-Star? Well, my top gasp. three, um, it's funny because I think Manila is almost like too like I feel like she's above you know what I mean like I feel like she's almost like a mentor like an elder not an elder that's not a nice thing to say but I mean I just feel like she's um she's just already such a superstar but um I'm uh I'm really excited about Monique and Monet yeah. and uh yeah I, I like um I like Valentina a lot but if there's gonna be a third slot I'd like to see it go to Manila so you did something on the last episode of how's your week that I love so much I, I can't tell you how much I love it, which is you went through every SNL cast member yes. and said which one is a cat or a dog. Yes, and I got a <laughs> yes. And I got a lot of shit about Bill Hader. Because I think I said Bill was a dog and I and and I see the other side of that. I may have been wrong. The I one, may have been wrong. The about one Bill that I will Hader. I will remember you're most right where you said Colin Jost is a dog and Michael Che is a cat. Absolutely. And you're like, so I did something, no or I, I want you to do something, which is um, I have the names of other sketch comedians. Okay. Uh, if you're willing to say if they're a dog oh, or yeah, cat. for sure. Uh, do you want to hold the paper and go through it, or do you want me to say that? I want you to say it, because it'll be better for the podcast. Great, thank you. So uh, we're going in show, show order, so we're going to start okay. with SCTV. Oh, great. Uh, Martin Short. A dog, for jo- sure. Joe Flaherty. A cat. Eugene Levy. A dog. Dave Thomas. A cat. John Candy. A dog. Catherine O'Hara. A cat. Tony Rosato. A dog. Uh, Ruben Duke. Robin, Robin Duke. Sorry. 
Uh, a dog. Harold Ramis. A cat. <laughs> Rick Moranis. Okay, a dog. <laughs> Andrea Martin. I miss her so much. I love her so much. Um, Andrea's cat. Uh, kids in the Hall, Dave Foley. Oh, Kids in the Hall, I'll tell you right now. Dave and Bruce are cats, the rest are dogs. <laughs> I, 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 there's no question about that. I mean, you want to go for breeds? Mark what McKinney's breed is- a herder. What's, He's a what's sheep Scott, dog. What's Scott Thompson? I mean, like a, a yellow lab. So when I, when I put this on... Kevin McDonald's a Jack Russell, like wild wire hair. When I put this on Twitter, the, the sketch show they most wanted to do was The State, which I was surprised. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I assumed it was going to be SCTV or Kids in the Hall, but it was The State. So, and away we go. And Michael Ian Black. Cat. Kevin Allison. Dog. Robin Ben Grant. Oh, um, cat. Uh, Todd Hollebeck. Oh, the pretty one. Uh, cat. <laughs> uh, Michael Patrick Jean. Cat. Jan. Uh, Carrie Kenny. Oh, Carrie Kenny. Uh, dog. Thomas Lennon. Cat. Joe Drugel. Dog. Yeah. I uh, mean, totally. <laughs> well, not, and then Ken Marino. Dog. Yeah, of course. Uh, Michael. Sh- <laughs> now I'm starting to get the hang of it. Michael Showalter. Uh, cat. Yeah. David Wayne. Dog. All right. And now UCB. Mm-hmm. Matt Besser. Oh, I'll tell you right now that Matt Besser's a cat. The rest are, are dogs. Yeah, that's about yeah. right. Uh, Mr. Show, Bob Odenkirk. Oh, Bob's a dog and David's a cat. Yeah. Oh, are we doing the other ones, the Paul Tomkins stuff? No, you, if oh, you no, want. No, no. Yeah, yeah, you, I think that we're going to do the main cast, but if Let's you want to keep No, 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 no. After, uh, uh, Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle is a dog. Mm. Keegan-Michael Key. Oh, very easy. Feels <laughs> a cat. Key's a dog. Yeah. That's the easiest one you've given me so far. That's so easy. Uh, oh, a cat would make the movie Get Out. <laughs> And a dog would be in Friends from College. Uh, Amy Schumer. Uh, Amy Schumer's a dog. So Portlandia, Fred Armisen, which you've done. Oh, I think they're both cats. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> and then uh, last one, your old friend Nick Kroll. He's a dog, no question. So uh, last question, we want to put the, can you put the photo up on the screen? So that's your cat, Jimmy Jazz. And that's my cat, Bug. Uh, Do you think they'd be friends? Is is Bub a boy or girl? A girl. It's a girl. She's very pretty. Oh, thank you so much. What's her personality like? Um, She's very sweet. She likes to be high on things. Excuse me? Like high on on the things. I was going to say, enough with the CBD oil. I mean, Brooklyn, honestly... Come on. It's like the new turmeric. It's like, it doesn't do anything. Anyway, sorry. Um, Would they be friends? Jimmy has a hard time with other cats. He gets very aggressive. But if he was going to be friends with a cat, I think that's a personality of of someone I could see him getting along with, especially since she's so pretty and he might uh, might even want to court her. Oh, thank you. That's the perfect answer. Julie Klausner, thank you guys so, so much. Uh, See you you next time. That's it for this week's episode. You can watch Difficult People on Hulu. Follow Julie Klasner on Twitter, at Julie Klasner. 
Good One is produced by Mike Comite with production help by Jessamine Molly. Justin D. Wright did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. And hey, if you know anyone who might like the podcast, what the heck, maybe tell them. You can email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. We'll be back next week with a new episode and a new joke. Have a good one. That was a HeadGum Podcast.